abides by it. Did you know the word abide is in that scripture? Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. I want to tell you a very brief version of a story from a book I recently read titled The Girl with No Name. It's a true story authenticated by National Geographic, and at the end of the story, I'll try to connect some dots back to James' illustration of the mirror that we just heard about relative to our goal of becoming self-feeders in the Word of God. So the girl with no name, the book, her name is Marina Chapman. She's four years old as the story begins, and she doesn't remember much about where she was when she was kidnapped except in her backyard in Colombia. And she remembers a rough hand, sweaty arms, and a hood being thrown over her head and being forced into a truck. And she remembers a chemical on a rag that was forced on her face that caused her to pass out. And she remembers going in and out of consciousness. And she remembers the truck stopping after a long, bumpy journey and the man pulling her out of the truck, slinging her over his shoulder, and running with her. And as branches and thorns were tearing at her clothes uh, and her skin, in her skin, it just seemed like she was being taken uh, to the end of the earth. But she was actually being taken into the heart of the Colombian jungle. Deeper and deeper until suddenly something must have uh, scared her captor because he began running wildly and faster and erratically. And finally, at what must have been a, a desperational move, he, he dropped her on the ground, almost threw her on the ground, uh, deciding it wasn't worth whatever purpose he had in mind when he stole her from the safety of her backyard. Perhaps it just wasn't worth continuing on. When she finally pulled herself together enough to realize that, that she had been dropped on the ground, she finally got her hands free, she got the hood off of her head, and she realized she was totally alone in the heart of the jungle. And as any other four-year-old would do, she began to, to cry and to scream for her mother. But all she could do was eventually curl up inside of a hollow tree that she found and spend the most terrifying night of her young four-year-old life. She just laid there in the trunk of the tree in a fetal position, wondering if death would come in the form of a hungry, wild animal, or maybe her kidnapper, kidnapper would come back and find her again. So for three days and three nights, she went hungry and terrified, crying out for help until her voice finally gave out. But she was so deep in the jungle, it was hopeless. But finally, on day three, something amazing happened when a troop of monkeys noticed her. And at first, they were hostile towards her, scared of her, and she was scared of them. But over the next few days, something extraordinary began to take place. The monkeys began to realize that she wasn't a danger, she wasn't a threat, and they began to leave bits of fruit and nuts on the ground by her hollow tree. She began to lose her fear of the monkeys and started watching how they broke the nuts open and what kind of berries and flowers they would eat, which ones were poisonous, and which ones they discarded. 
And she began to mimic the monkey's behavior. She played with them. She hunted for food with them. She learned and imitated how they communicated with one another, with their sounds. Whether it was a sound that they were playing or calling to one another, or whether it was a sound for danger. She learned all the sounds until she was actually speaking their language. Eventually, she was what we might call adopted by the troop of monkeys as one of her own, and she adopted them as her family. Now, Marina lived 10 years with those monkeys. Her days with the monkeys turned into weeks and months and years, and from age 4 to 14, she had no contact with another human being. She forgot her human language, and she moved about on all fours eventually, and eventually lost all memory of her human past. As I said, she survived 10 years in the heart of the jungle by one strategy. Monkey see, monkey do. But one day, everything changed. It was about year nine. She noticed something shiny on the ground in a bush, nearly hidden by the vegetation. She studied it from a distance, curious but scared of it, and eventually she got close enough to poke it and to prod it until she felt that it wasn't dangerous for her. It wasn't going to come after her. And then she reached out her hand to pick it up, when suddenly, before she picked it up, she looked at it and she discovered that it had two eyes. And they were looking right at her. And then she realized that when she blinked, it blinked. And when she looked away, it looked away. And finally, a dawn hunter, that she was looking at her reflection of her own face, something she had not seen for nine years. What she had found was a broken piece of mirror. And at that instant, something in her mind reconnected with a memory in her childhood as a human. And she realized out of the depths of her past she wasn't like the monkeys. At that instant, something in her mind told her, by looking intently into that mirror, three things began to come into focus for the first time. Number one, the mirror made her aware of who she really was and who she really wasn't, and perhaps even what she might be able to become. And even though she went back living with the monkeys deep in her heart, because of looking in that mirror, she knew she had caught a glimpse of who she was truly created to be. And even though she was living in the jungle, playing monkey see, monkey do for real life, she knew, now knew that she was not meant to be another creature, she was not meant to be like someone else or something else. And now she could say, I was created for something different. And now in her heart burned the desire 
She said, I, I have to know. I have to find out who and what I was really meant to be. I want you to watch this video, and I want you to hear the gentleman's heart, one of our, one of our guys. And what happened to him as he began to look intently into the mirror, into God's Word, and how becoming a self-feeder helped him discover who he really was meant to be in the image of Jesus Christ. You're locked up in the computer. I do a very mean shadow hand puppet, but other than that, I can't help you, brother. It'll unlock. God's, God knows we want to watch this video. Yeah, he could do it live. Hey, John, you here? Where's brother John? Oh, he is there. If we can't get that going, you just come up and grab this mic and just we'll just do it. What do you think? Are we still locked up? Getting close? Okay, John, you can still breathe. <laughs> huh? Yeah, I guess uh, everybody turn their Wi-Fi off if you haven't done that from Brian's last directive. That'll help a little bit. Turn it on airplane mode or just turn it off. You know, that book is a pretty fascinating book with um, uh, Marina Chapman. She's about 65 years old now. She has a family. She has children. She's married. She lives in the States. And uh, she's got a huge a tree in her backyard that she actually climbs up and lives in half the time. Um, it's quite an amazing story. I don't know if she ever became a believer. It doesn't say that in the story. Um, after I got done with the book, I prayed for her because I thought if anybody could believe in Creator God, it would be her. All right? So as I said, I want you to watch the video. You're going you're gonna to hear John's heart, what happened to him when, we looked, when he looked into that mirror. A friend of mine, Bobby Johnson, decided uh, to join the I moved with my family to Bakersfield from uh, Santa Barbara, California about seven or eight years ago. A friend of mine, Bobby Johnson, uh, invited me to the journey. I didn't really know what it was, but I knew I wanted to meet some other men of God and uh, decided to join the journey. So I journeyed with him for about a year. Um, I really loved the material and uh, began to read the books and uh, go through the manual. And uh, the second year I was asked if I wanted to become a guide, which I, I really wanted to do. I saw my life change in that first year, and I saw other guys' lives change, and I wanted to continue uh, in that. So I started uh, as a guide and uh, was still you know, going through the material and encouraging our guys to as well. Um, when we got to journaling, uh, of course I did the journaling. I did the STAR method in the manual, but uh, it was more or less checking the box, I guess I would have to say. I modeled to the guys what it looked like. See, I grew up in the church, I had been reading the Bible my whole life. In fact, uh, I'm a type A personality, kind of an engineer type. I use checklists all the time. And if you look back at my checklist over the last 15 years, the first item on my checklist every day was devotions. And most days it got checked off. But I found myself in the journey, I felt like I wasn't really clicking into the key of what journaling really was about. In fact, I saw this guy in my group. Um, his name was Dan Bartell. He would bring his journal to the group that I was guiding, and he was pulling 
um, nuggets out of his journal that were just blowing my mind. And I was like, that's what I want. And uh, so I began to press into what I was missing and discovered what it was is I was not really inviting the Holy Spirit to come with me in my time of self-feeding. I was reading the word, but I wasn't asking the author of the word to explain it to me as I read it. And as I began to journal and began to do that, more scriptures unfolded um, about the Holy Spirit's role in teaching us and explaining the scriptures to us. In fact, it says in John 16 that he will take what's on my heart and he will give it to you. He will transfer it to you. He will share it to you. So as I began to, to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do that, he would reveal his heart to me. And I started to receive those revelations that I saw Dan having. And my time in the word started to become alive. In fact, it, I look at it now as a treasure hunt. Um, I know his word is full of treasure. I had this thought or a vision, maybe, I don't know, of an old you know, gold mine. It's got those wooden A-frames and the, the single track coming out of it that they push the ore carts in and out. And there's this one string of lights down the center with just enough light to get in there and do their job. That's kind of what I was doing for years, just going in and doing my job, reading my Bible, checking the box. But going in and asking the Holy Spirit to show me where the truth was, what, what he wanted to teach me is like going into that mine with a headlamp on and you'd go in and you'd see these veins of gold in the side of the mine that you never would have discovered without the Holy Spirit showing you what he wanted for you that day. And since then, my time in the word has never been the same. Um, Self-feeding has is, is been just a dear part of my life. In fact, I'm starting to not call it self-feeding anymore. I'm calling it Holy Spirit feeding because that's what he does. I mean, wouldn't it be crazy if you had the author of the book that you're reading and you wanted to know more about it and he's sitting next to you and you wouldn't ask him? And I just began to think, why aren't I asking the Holy Spirit every day? What do you have for me today? What, what do you want to teach me? Show me the Father's heart. And he began to do that and, and my self-feeding and asking the Holy Spirit just uh, really became a vital part of my life. I think as a guide, um, we can tell the guys all we want about the importance of self-feeding. But when we come to our group and share the revelations that we receive from the Holy Spirit as we read his word, um, they're attracted to it. They want that as well. And I've just found in my life, uh, attraction is far more effective than promotion. Um, when men see um, a real relationship with the Father and, and as my relationship with him has grown, um, I'm just so super encouraged. I'm thankful to be part of the journey um, for the way the, the star process works and the star method. And uh, self-feeding is, is just become such a vital part of my life. I love to share it with others. I can't wait to continue in it. I, I can't imagine myself ever not doing the journey because every year that I go through it, I receive much more than the guys that I guide with. Well, the table of sweets um, really is, uh, is empty. It's not nourishing. And to get into the inner chamber, we pass through the table um, where God's word is, where, we, where we're nourished. Um, but as we, read, as we read in the book, The Journey of the Inner Chamber, the, the feast on the table is not the ultimate feast. I think sometimes I, I used to get caught up with reading God's word as a habit of something I should do. But the purpose of reading God's word, I'm more and more convinced, is just to know him better. I don't read it to learn more. I don't read it to be a better person. I read it to know him better. In fact, I'm starting to look at his word as a relationship manual. And the more that I read his word and learn more about him and more about myself, 
um, I can enter into that inner chamber, which is true fellowship and intimacy with the Father, where he can impart um, his life, his very heart to me and share it with me. I moved with my family to Bakersfield from... Uh, You see, the Apostle James used the mirror as the metaphor for the Bible. And I think you can see from John's testimony that he was living and experiencing the self-feeding, which is another way to say he was looking intently in the mirror, looking intently, not just glancing at it as he walked by. You know, when we look in the mirror, guys, and we see ourselves, sometimes we don't like what we see. Sometimes we don't look like the man of God that, that we picture ourselves where we'd like to be. But the Bible is not using that mirror to reflect something that we would say, well, it's going to discourage me. I'll never be that guy. I'll never be like Jesus. No, the Bible is that mirror that we see a glimpse of ourselves as we truly are at that moment, but we also see the glimpse of Jesus Christ, and we realize that we're born to become like Him, to look like Him. And we discover there's no reason. There's no reason to go on playing monkey see, monkey do. There's no reason to go on imitating the world's values and the current culture's definition of what a man is supposed to be. Because, guys, the Word of God exposes the world, its ideals, and its man code for what it really does produce. And what it produces are refugees. What the world produces without Christ is refugees. Refugees who, when they look at their natural face in the mirror, they walk away, immediately forget what, a, what kind of person they were. And so there's no opportunity, no even chance for transformation or change when you're okay with who you are. When you don't even know that you're emaciated. When you don't even know that you're starving. When you don't even know that there's some better food out there. When you don't even know that what's on the table of sweets is bad for you. That as soon as you eat it, it'll burn up all the calories immediately and you'll be left starving for something more. You just get more and more and more. And you may get fat. And you may get obese, but you're going to die because you've been eating the wrong stuff. Refugees don't know it, you see. They look in the mirror. They see what they look like, but they really, really don't, don't see. And they walk away and forget who they really are. Brian told me I could speak from my heart for a minute. I'm just going to do that as I wrap up here. Because, guys, I believe with all my heart that we're living in a time in a, in a world, in a history of the world that has lost sight of who their creator is and why he created them. So how important is it that, that you and I get serious about going deeper as self-feeders? I don't care how deep you are. I don't care how deep I am. Whatever depth that is, why is it important to go deeper? Why is it important that we get serious about guiding other men into an intimate relationship with Jesus and helping them to push away from the table of sweets. Why is that so important? Well, guys, we may live in America, surrounded by a sea of educated PhDs and prominent senators, 
congressmen, psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors, lawyers, rocket scientists. But we're living in a jungle. And we're a lost society of spiritually starved refugees. When human beings usurp the role of Almighty God to redefine gender, when we try to redefine at what point a baby actually becomes a living human being, we're living in a jungle. And we're living as a tribe of refugees with no identity, no rudder, no sail. And when educators and role models and parents of society begins leading a generation of teenagers and young adults to play monkey see, monkey do with abortion, same-sex marriage, we're lost in a jungle where ungodly standards of humanism are supported and they're perpetuated to where they become the norm of society based upon one strategy, the exact same strategy that uh, Miss Chapman found herself in, monkey see, monkey do. That's how it grows. That's how it was perpetuated. You see, men, what the Apostle James was telling us and what we know to be true is that when I neglect to feed my soul from God's Word, when I begin to read and absorb what other people say about Jesus who don't know Jesus, it's like looking in the mirror and walking away and forgetting how spiritually emaciated I've really become. But when I am self-feeding on the spiritual food that was meant to bring me from a dead man walking, as Brother Frank said this morning, to bring me from a dead man walking to a healthy, purpose-filled son of God, then I'm like that man, as James says, who looks intently at the perfect law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. And James said, and this man will be blessed in what he does. All right? Amen, guys. Thanks for listening.